Well, we're at the end of this series, uh, A Summer in Rome, and today we're going to be in Romans 15, and we're going to kind of wrap up talking about community, and, and um, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, talks a lot about this, and so we're going to kind of, I'm going to tell you why it's important to be in a group of some sort. Um, I know this from personal experience, how much it helps me, and so I'm going to kind of tell you from a guy that actually practices this. Let me, let me do a couple of housekeeping things before we jump in. Um, when Ben resigned a few weeks ago, people may, maybe wonder, you know, where we are with music and that sort of thing. Well, obviously, we have lots of talented musicians, and as a church uh, this size, it is sort of remarkable. We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to people who can lead worship, people who can play instruments. Uh, it, it is somewhat, honestly, I don't know if, you, if we appreciate it enough, or maybe we do, but uh, it is remarkable how many people we have that can lead and, and are great musicians. And so we're kind of set for a while as far as uh, having some, just some folks lead us. And, and uh, as you saw today, <laughs> high quality. And so uh, music is doing great. And I'm super happy about that because that's not you know, particularly my strength. And, and um, they kind of are running themselves, and that's awesome. Concerning student ministry, uh, I've taken the opportunity to, to teach on Wednesdays. Um, we have a great group of young adults who help us in that uh, ministry. And so I'm providing the teaching, they're providing uh, the energy <laughs> and uh, playing the games and, and leading worship and leading in small groups and that sort of thing. And, and um, I'll do that for a while. It's great for me, honestly, to get to know the kids and uh, I'm super enjoying it. And so that's what's happening. I won't do that long term, but I'll do that for a while. Uh, Cliff is helping some. He'll help some with teaching. We have some adults who are coming to help uh, with food and and uh, uh, extra sets of eyes. And so Wednesday is going really, really well. Uh, this coming Wednesday is uh, hyperlink, and it's kind of a game night. So I, you know, I'm, we're not going to be teaching, but we're going to be playing games. And by we, I mean them. And uh, I'll be watching that and cheering them on, and hopefully not having to play anything. Uh, so that's kind of kind of where we are. Um, so. We're sort of processing and praying about how to replace uh, those positions. And, and I'll keep you updated um, often, uh, monthly or so, just to let you know where we are. Okay, so we're praying about it, and we're certainly uh, uh, in process of, of finding replacements. It's just that kind of takes just a little while, and so we'll take a little while to do it. All right, so let's jump into Romans chapter 15, all right? Now... Um, there's a book called Deep Down Dark. I don't know if any of you have read that, but it's about the, uh, the 39, uh, I'm sorry, 33 Chilean miners who got caught um, in 2010, and they were underground, and while they were on their shift, this huge boulder uh, fell into the opening that they are supposed to be extracted from. And so they are stuck And thus, the name of the book, they're stuck deep down dark, 2,000 feet underground. Can you imagine? I mean, I I get claustrophobic thinking about that. I can't even imagine actually living that out. And so, I was working in my closet the other day, and I was a little claustrophobic. So, I can't imagine being 2,000 feet underground with a big boulder keeping me from getting out. And you'll recall this. I mean, the news was all over it, and there, there was very little chance that these guys were going to live through this. I mean, it was one newspaper in San Diego 
uh, had a prediction or sort of a, a calculation, and they calculated that the, the percentage chance of these miners getting out of this mine was like 2%. And it became sort of this worldwide phenomena. People knew about it, and they were, they were worried about it, and they were praying about it. And what, but what happened underground was remarkable. Um, these 33 men... They started to think about their lives. Now, they have no contact with the outside. They don't know what's going on. They don't have any notion that anybody, you know, is trying to dig them out. For all they know, this is going to be their demise. They they have really not a lot of hope that anybody could get to them if they were trying to get to them. And maybe they suspected or surmised that perhaps somebody is trying to get there. But it's certainly not... they, They just really didn't have a ton of hope. And so... This kind of remarkable thing happens 2,000 feet underground in a cave that is blocked from, from exit. The, these guys sort of start to think about their life and to assess their life. And there's one guy who's kind of a spiritual cat. His name is Jose Enriquez. And so they ask Jose to, to pray. And so Jose's prayer went like this. Uh, we aren't the best men, but Lord, have pity on us. It's a little sketchy. I mean, you know, you really don't uh, start prayers like that. But then it gets even more um, explicit about their failures. And he prays things like, uh, Victor uh, Sogivia uh, knows he drinks too much. And Victor Zamora is too quick to anger. And Pedro Cortez uh, thinks about the poor, po- uh, the poor father he's been to his young daughter. And they sort of develop this fellowship down deep in this dark place. Every day they would meet for a meal, and they didn't have much, but maybe a little tuna or a couple of cookies or uh, some oily water, and they would have this time of being together, and then they would pray, and they started calling Jose El Pastor, and he would tell them stories from the Bible. Though he didn't have a Bible, he knew these stories, and so he would tell them. And then... One of them, while this teaching was going on, would just spontaneously pray something like, uh, forgive me for the way I've raised my voice in violence to my wife and my family, or God forgive me for the way I've abused my body with drugs and alcohol. And then these prayers sort of morph, not just about, hey, forgive me, but then these guys would go to each other and say, hey, I apologize and I ask for forgiveness for the way I raised my hand to you once, or uh, for the way that one time when we were supposed to get water and I didn't carry my end of the load and I, I really sort of didn't do my part and I apologize to you for that. And this was going on underneath the ground 2,000 feet. Now above ground there was an effort to extract these miners. These eight, this is amazing too, these eight burly Chilean engineer kind of guys, these guys that uh, are used to building tunnels, they are commissioned with uh, the task of trying to tunnel down and get the people, these 33 miners, out of this mine. And before they start, the, the head guy says, I think we should pray. We should pray to the skinny guy on the cross. That's what he called him, the skinny guy on the cross. And then one of them, again, these are these big burly men, one of them says, we should hold hands. And so they hold hands. And they pray that God would uh, deliver their, uh, their compatriots who are under the ground and give them strength and wisdom to do this. And they pray for this. 
And um, they eventually make a hole all the way down to where the men are. Now, at first it's not very large, just big enough to pass down food and water and and iPads, which is interesting. And um, so the guys start to read about what's happening above the earth. Now, at one point they have no hope. Really, there's no hope. And they start to just confess their sins and those sorts of things. But when the the hole is drilled, this is kind of interesting. It's sort of like the happiest part of the story and the saddest part of the story at the same time. When all of a sudden they have hope, their little prayer meetings cease. They stop praying together. They stop meeting together. They stop hanging out. In fact, they find out not only that that people up there know about what's going on, but now they're sort of famous. And when they start to think about their fame, they think about, hey, uh, we might get rich off of this. And when the prospect of death is taken off the table and the prospect of riches and fame enters the picture, unfortunately, when human sufficiency sort of takes over, then our dependence on God um, wanes. And their prayer times and their community sort of disintegrates because now they have hope that I mean, it's almost like I need God, now I I don't need God. And when they didn't need him, they didn't look to him. Kind of interesting. And we've all seen this happen in different ways. There's a guy and he binges for the last time and he loses his job and he loses his family and he uh, finds his way to an AA meeting and in the AA meeting um, they're just real open and honest about life and and they find help and they find healing or, or there'll be a time when somebody we know gets cancer or suffers a loss or uh, loses a job, goes bankrupt. They uh, suffer, uh, their reputation suffers. And somehow they find people in community that help them uh, get through these problems, these struggles. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk about what it looks like to be in community. I, I forgot to put the slide up. Now the story's over. Sorry. Okay. Uh, really, I could tell it again, but it's going to take us way too long. Four observations about Christian community. First, being connected is non-optional. Non-optional. So we're in Romans 15. Let's look at a couple of verses here. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The the verse really centers on uh, encouragement and endurance. And people need people. Mother Teresa, I do have a picture of her. Uh, I I read this morning that she was today um, given saintness. What is it called? Uh, Sainthood, yes. I I was checking you. Good job. Uh, She was... um, endowed with with sainthood but anyway mother Teresa had this quote she said the greatest disease in the west today is not tb or leprosy it is being unwanted unloved and uncared for we can cure physical diseases with medicine but the only cure for loneliness despair and hopelessness is love and she goes on to say it's really important that we be in community with one another i read a study recently about mice 
And if you take a mouse and you put him in a situation that's sort of stressful, there's not enough food, but you put that mouse in a, in a situation that's stressful with other mice that it doesn't know, it's not familiar with, its blood pressure goes up. They have a little cuff, uh, a little, blood, little mousy blood pressure cuff. And, and they, they check it, I guess. I don't know how it goes. Somehow they check that. I, I don't know. However, if you put that mouse in the same situation, not enough food, but you put it in with its brothers and sisters, then it really doesn't have the same level of stress. In fact, it's not stressed at all. It, it, it matters who you hang out with, honestly. And so the big idea for the day is that we're made for community and we suffer when we're not in community. I'm going to tell you something now that is going to blow your mind. Just prepare to have your minds blown. There's a guy named Robert Putnam. He wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And he talks about, in this book, he does this research on people who are isolated uh, in relationship to people who are as opposed to people who uh, are in community. Now get this, get this. Um, Isolated people, not in community, are three times more likely to die than people who are embedded in deep communal relationships. Amazing. Three times more likely to die if you're not in relationships with people. Get this. We live in a society where um, healthy stuff is a big deal and, and you know, eating right and all those kind of things. L- listen to this. Um, people who had bad health habits like smoking, bad eating habits, obesity, alcohol, uh, just all these bad habits, but had a strong social ties live significantly longer than people who had great healthy habits, like jogging and stuff like that, but were isolated. Science has proven this right here, that it's better for you to eat Krispy Kremes with good friends than Brussels sprouts alone. All right, can I get a witness? I mean, that is awesome. Significantly longer. There was a study done... In San Francisco, people were uh, allowed themselves to be in, in, infected or in, yeah, infected with um, a common cold virus. Again, super interesting. People with strong emotional connections, relationally connected, did four times better fighting off illness than those who were isolated. It's in fact, I don't know how they checked this, but people who were in community had less mucus. So, unfriendly people are literally snottier than friendly people. That's what that means. You didn't know that, did you? It's true. It's so true. Putnam said that if you make no other life changes, you don't start working out, you don't start eating better, uh, but you join a small group and you haven't been in a small group, this is, uh, this is, a, this is scientific that um, you've never been in a small group, but you, you don't make any lifestyle changes other than joining a small group if you haven't been in one, that you cut the odds of dying this year in half. So our new life group slogan is this, join a life group or die. That, that is our new slogan. It's your choice. I mean, you can choose. And it's, I mean, as funny as that is, it's true, and it's not just about physical health. Uh, Look at this text in Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we might encourage one another. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 
That's why life groups are so important. Being in a group and, and having relationships and, and knowing people and being able to share your life with someone. It's wildly important. Life groups are beginning like right now, really soon. They, they begin actually next week. I'm going to begin a series. It's a really good one. I've done it before, and it's just good stuff about the soul and, and how do you care for your soul. And we're going to be doing those messages. I'll be doing those messages on Sunday, Lord willing. And then uh, during the week, the life groups will be asking questions about that message. Mark King is kind of helping us with that this year or this semester about how um, these are going to look and what they're going to be about. Do we have a mic for you? Uh, you know how to turn it on? That's a good, good call. Uh, it's a good thing because I don't. So Mark's going to tell us a little bit about groups, and, and when you're done, I'll come back. I hope everyone got a program when you came in because that lists our life groups. So go ahead and take that out. And on the first inside page, the left side of that, gives our life groups that we're relaunching this year, this semester. And if you don't, go ahead and get back there. Some of you are doing that right now, uh, getting some of these. And what we want you to do is find one that fits you. Now, I've talked to some that even looking at all of these, you can't find a time because of your work schedule, things like that. If you would, let us know what time would work for you. If there's a day and a time that would work, as we're looking for new life group slots, if we can get one for you, we will, okay? So just know that. If you can't find one, we're going to do what we can to find one for you. But we're going to start at the bottom of the list there with the financial peace one. This is a specific one that um, Jeff Howard is going to be uh, leading for us. And uh, Jeff is right over here. Raise your hand. So just if you want to know any more about this particular one, talk to Jeff. Uh, our church has gone through financial peace, but some of you have come since we did that, and we want you to have opportunity to do it. There is a small cost to that. Uh, it usually costs $99 to get the kit to do this, but the church is subsidizing it, so it's only going to cost $25 to get that kit to go through this nine-week uh, life group um, with Jeff Howard. So if you want to do that, talk to Jeff about that when you see when it's meeting. Uh, the next one's going up. Lane Stovall, Jane Patat, Paul Isle, David Fawcett, Clay Wilson. These are all just open life groups. We'll all be going through the soul food uh, study that our pastor is going to be leading on, and then we're going to try our best to get the sermon up right after the service. So those that you that will be meeting on Sunday, if perchance you can't be here Sunday morning, but you're going to make it to your life group, you can take a little time to catch up on that sermon. But if not, the discussion will still be going. Even if you miss the sermon, it's okay to get in on it. But you see the times and days that those are all meeting if you have questions specifically about where and those sort of things, you can contact those people, or uh, I'd be glad to help you out with that if you need help on that. Then the next two up, college girls, young adults, we're going to add another one to that and just call all these young adults. It's not just college girls. Um, it's young adult age for girls and guys. Our pastor is going to be leading one for guys, and Christy Camp is going to do one for girls. And uh, Laurie and I have been doing one, and Vlad Michelle Sabot have been doing one for young adults. It's kind of been uh, mostly couples, it has been, but we're not limited to that. So just whatever time may work for you, you see the different times for that, make sure you're a part of those. And then the ladies are going to have another one, and um, it's, going to be, it's not listed here, uh, but it will be on Wednesday at 6 o'clock with Beth Haynes. 
Wednesday at 6 o'clock for a ladies' Bible study. And it's going to be a different one based on forgiveness. So, ladies, you really like to get into Bible study. You can do one on Wednesday night with Beth and do another one sometime during the week on soul food. So take advantage of that, too. But what I want you to do, so we know where everybody is going to be and help you get to those spots, make sure we know who's in a life group and who we need to help get in a life group, in the program was your connection card. Now, you're familiar with these by now. If you would, at the front of that, it's a place to put your name. If you are going to be in a life group, even if you know you're already in a life group, but we want you to go ahead and sign this up so I can get everybody on the CCB rosters and make sure we are, uh, get you the information you need. So if you've already said, I want to be in a life group, but I haven't specified which one today, would you just write your name on the front side of that, then flip it over on the bottom side where you can put prayer requests or praise reports. We want you to put the name of the life group leader you want to be a part, be meeting with, Okay. That's how we're going to sign up. We've done sign-ups in the past where we were out there and standing behind the table and trying to get people to sign up on a sheet. Well, all we want you to do now is take the connection card, put your name on the front, on the back. Some of you have done this already and you thought we were, you were signing up, just put life groups. If you would, do it again and put the name of it. If, um, if I don't get that, I will contact you if you still want to know about life groups and help you with that. But if you know for sure which one you want to be a part of, just go ahead and put the name there of that life group facilitator, and we'll help you do that. That's what we're going to do. Hope you'll be a part of Life Group. If not, I hope we don't do too many funerals this That's right. Semester. That's right. <laughs> Join a Life Group or die. That's our new slogan. I didn't run that by you, but that'll work, don't you think? That's really good. Okay, good. Okay, good. All right. Um, to be encouraged and to be an encourager, you have to show up, right? You can't really be an encourager from a distance. I mean, you can, but it's not as good. And so showing up is part of what... We have to do. Here's the problem. The number one excuse for somebody saying, I don't want to be a part of a life group or I can't be one is I'm too busy right now. And I understand about, you know, what it means to be busy. I I get that. I I know what that's like. Um, I I know that you're, it's too important to not be a part of a group. Um, Because what's going to happen is you're not going to invest in people's lives and you're not going to go to these life groups. And if you don't go... Crisis is coming because it comes to every life. It's nice to have people in your life when a crisis comes that can help you, uh, that can serve you. It's great for you. You feel like you are the hands and feet of God when somebody in your group has crisis and you get to serve them. There's nothing like being able to help somebody get through a difficult time. And so um, don't, if the first thing you thought of is, I don't have time, don't let that keep you from being a part of a life group. You need to, to remember that really being a part of a group is, is non-optional. You really need that to grow spiritually. All right. Now, second thing, people are non-optimal. People are non-optimal. Here, here's what we think. I'm going to be in a group, and they're going to be great people, and they're not, any of them going to be whack. And that's just not true. Everybody is not optimal. In fact, I want you to look around, look at the person right next to you and say, you're not optimal. Say it in love. Love of Jesus. (laughs) Truth is, we're all messed up and we all need patience with one another. And being in a group doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to be with people that are just like me and that are never going to challenge me and aren't going to be, you know, not going to drive me nuts. It doesn't mean that at all. It means now I have a chance to, uh, to exercise the love of Christ. 
Look at what it says in Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. What, what attitude does Christ have toward us? He loves us no matter where we are, no matter what we're into, no matter what we've done, no matter our past or our present. Jesus loves us. Our mind toward each other, should, we should have the same attitude that Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Here's what the, tr- the truth is. When we experience community and when we extend community, it's re- a reflection of God. And He is honored. Now, It's difficult sometimes to be a part of a group. If you're an introvert, and I know some of us are introverts, I'm an introvert by, by nature. Um, it, the worst part of a, of a service for an introvert is the time where we shake hands, the greeting time. We hate that. We just hate it. Uh, it's like um, greeting time, root canal. It's kind of, uh, we don't know. Uh, it's kind of almost the same for us. Um, and it's interesting, a Christian college recently was asked, do you think Jesus was an introvert or an extrovert? 97% think he was an extrovert. I, I, when I read scripture, it says he gets alone. Uh, so he, he was definitely an introvert. All those people are wrong. Um, but introverts often are internal processors. We, we sort of think before we speak. Extroverts aren't always that way. Sometimes they say stuff just to see if they believe it once they've said it. It kind of comes out, and then, they're, then you can see them analyzing the stuff they just said. I don't know if I even believe what I just said. I mean, it's kind of, kind of happens sometimes. So I don't want you to romanticize that I'm going to be in a group, and, every, and we're going to sing Kumbaya, and we're going to eat pate on triscuits, which is awesome. Uh, I love the garlic triscuits, except Miriam doesn't want to be with me after I've eaten them. But anyway, anyway... Um, it's not going to be just all, what you, know, what you need to know is there are going to be some people that are messed up there, but, but the good news, this is good news, Jesus will be there too. For where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am with them also. And so we, we can know, look, people are non-optimal. You're going to have the opportunity to grow in your patience and love for people who aren't just like you. Three, honesty is non-negotiable. Honesty is non-negotiable. Uh, no posturing, no pretending. There's this, um, you probably know this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It's kind of a goofy little old story, but um, there's a guy, he's having a difficult time trying to find work, uh, nobody hiring. He sees an ad at the zoo, the zoo's hiring, and so he goes and he, he talks to the guy there and he said, well, the, the job's a little bit odd. Um, our gorilla died and we can't afford a new gorilla. So we want you to dress up in a gorilla suit, sort of act like a gorilla. We'll pay you for that. And he's like, well, that's kind of humiliating, but I need the money. So he, he takes the job. Next day he shows up. He gets in his gorilla suit. He's swinging around, and he's doing little tricks, and people are clapping. And he's kind of getting into it. You know, it's like, hey, it's cool. And so he's doing stuff, and, and he's, you know, making noises and grunting, and people are just, they're clapping, and they're excited, and he sort of gets over-enthusiastic about it, so he's swinging on a vine back and forth, and he, he kind of overshoots, and he lands, he kind of overshoots his cage, and he lands in the lion cage. Before he knows it, the lion has his paw on him, 
And the guy, I mean, he loses his mind. He forgets he's in character and he starts to yell, help, help, help. And the lion leans down and says, shut up, you idiot, or we're both going to lose our jobs. <laughs> well, everybody in the zoo is sort of faking it, right? Um, in Romans 15, it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just to please ourselves. That there's something to be said for being honest. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know who he is, he was a, a Christian um, pastor when Hitler took over in Germany when Hitler took over Germany. And he was one of the few voices of, of pastors in Germany who spoke out against Hitler. And Bonhoeffer, I mean, he was... The tragedy of his life, I mean, he wrote amazing things. The tragedy of his life is just before um, the Allied forces freed Germany, uh, they executed him. But, but he, he said, confess your faults to one another because he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. I mean, that is just, that is a deep and profound truth in our lives. As long as I'm hiding stuff, I can't be fully known. And, and I've got a couple of people in my life, three, three guys in my life, that I could tell anything to. Uh, I, 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 can, I, I know, I, I trust those guys, I've told them things that I would never tell anybody, except those guys. You have to have people in your life you can be real with. You just have to. And I, I've leaned into those guys, and they've leaned into me. They know they can tell me anything. And it stays with us, and we pray about it, and we talk about it, and we work through it, but it's, when we talk about it, that's it. It's, it's there. We need these kinds of full disclosing relationships in our life. That won't be everybody in your small group. You certainly don't do that with strangers. But you develop some friendships that help you get to that place. Finally, finally. Hope is non-perishable. Hope is non-perishable. In the mine, with those Chilean miners, they love to hear the stories, early on at least, of El Pastor. Can you imagine, I mean, do you, take a guess, which do you think was their favorite Bible story? They had one that they loved to hear over and over. It was the story of Jonah. They, they loved the Jonah story. Because the Jonah story was their story. I mean, trapped in the deep down dark, little hope. But, but Jonah was delivered, and they, they would think, you know, if, if Jonah can be delivered, then I can be delivered. If Jonah can get saved, then we can get saved. And Hebrews 10 says this. And let us consider, we've talked about it already, how we can spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. And then look at the very last part. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's funny about days. We look forward to days. Labor Day is a day people look forward to. We've looked forward to this weekend for how long? Because it's the beginning of football season. That's right. That's right. We are all excited about that. Way to go, Clemson. Not so much Kentucky. Um, we, we got beat yesterday, even though we had a 25-point lead. Don't get me started. Um, um, we, but we look forward to days. The, the one day of the work week we look forward to is what? 
Friday, right? Friday. Uh, we even have a, an acronym, TGIF. There's a whole restaurant chain uh, built around this. We love Fridays because after Friday, what do we get? A weekend. Woo! Yes, and so we love Fridays. And when, when you start school, what's the day you look forward to? Graduation day. And you start college, you look forward to graduation day. And then when you start to work, there's a day you look forward to. That's the day you retire, unless you don't have any money. And then you look forward to the lottery day, uh, you know, lottery announcement day. Because you bought a ticket because you don't have enough money to retire on. By the way, the lottery is a really bad investment. I don't know if you know that. As your pastor, I should probably tell you. I think the odds of winning the lottery are like 1 in 292 billion or million or something. The, it's the, if you wrote everybody's name in America on a piece of paper, dropped it in a bowl, and the, the odds of you winning the lottery are you get to reach in the bowl and pick out your name. It's not really very good, honestly. But if you do win, people have asked me, Pastor, if I win the... Is it... I mean, as Baptists, is it wrong to play the lottery? It's only wrong if you don't tithe here. Uh, so I just want you to know that. Uh, it's in the Hebrew, and you, you don't need to look for it. Okay, uh, so... And it's 25%. So I uh, just want you to know, as your pastor... But, but he talks about a day that we're looking forward to. And, and it's not you know, graduation and it's not some day. It, I, I love this, this verse. This is our last verse for the day. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The God of hope. Isn't that a great? Man, if you're going to be a God, be the God of hope. <laughs> you know, Be the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't place our hope on a 401k or graduation day or getting a date or getting a job. I mean, those are great things. Those are awesome things. But ultimately, our hope isn't in that. This is like maybe the coolest verse in Scripture because we're asking that the God of all hope fill us to overflowing with hope. Can, can you imagine the moment, the moment, when those miners, they're having a prayer time or they're just down in the, this mine and, and all of a sudden um, something pokes through the ceiling and it's the guys drilling from the top and, and they hear it coming and they know it's coming and all of a sudden it, they break through and, the, and they see daylight for the first time and they were underground for 69 days. Can you imagine that moment where hope was born in their lives? Those uh, engineers that were going to drill the hole, the, the leader, he said, I think we should put our hope in the skinny guy on the cross. And that's where we place our hope, in the skinny guy on the cross who died and was buried and there was a stone rolled over that place as well. And three days later he rose again and the stone was rolled away and he was resurrected and he's coming back. And someday we get to spend eternity. That's where our hope lies, not in this moment, in this time, in this, in this world. We're filled to overflowing with hope that Jesus is coming back 
and that we get to spend eternity with him. This is where our real hope lies. Let's pray, and then we're going to take up our offering. I'll tell you how that's going to go down. All right, just a second. Lord, thank you for uh, this day, this message. Thank you for Romans 15 um, that's so powerful in our lives and speaks to us about community and about hope. I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would remind us of this this week that community is so important and that hope is real. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.